You know, I was curious, uh, when you weren't asked to stand up, how many would and how many would, you know, like reach as far as they could off their seat talking to people. Uh, that was... <laughs> We need a video of that stuff. Hey, uh, thanks for being here today. If this is your first Sunday uh, with us, my name is Mike, and I'm the uh, lead pastor here at MCC. And if you are watching online, thank you for joining us there. We know that some people go looking uh, for us intentionally because uh, you're trying to figure us out, and I appreciate you being here for that. Uh, but if you found us accidentally, you were just stumbling through and found us, we appreciate you joining us uh, as well. Hope you'll join us again. So we have begun this year with this idea of uh, what if, and uh, I think it's fair to say that uh, some, maybe many people have those kind of thoughts, those kind of dreams at the beginning of a new year, and uh, they make New Year's resolutions, uh, and they can be a great way to make positive changes in your life. I don't know if you did or not. I was reading uh, Statistica already has the top 10 uh, uh, New Year's resolutions for this year. I'm wondering if any of these are yours, if you made any, to diet or eat healthier, exercise more, lose weight, save more, spend less. By the way, uh, commercial, financial, peace, university. All right. Uh, learn new skill or hobby, quit smoking, read more, find another job, drink less alcohol, spend more time with family and friends. So I'm wondering, when you look at that list, did you at the beginning of the year say, I want to do this or these. We're not going to ask for raising of hands or anything like that. Just wondered if you recognized um, any of those. And I wanted to wait until at least today uh, to talk about this because you probably know that um, it's very difficult to keep resolutions, to, to maintain them throughout the year. But I wonder if you know that according to U.S. News World Report that approximately 80% of resolutions fail by the second week of February. Second week of February, they're, they're done. And according to Forbes magazine, only 8% actually accomplished them by the end of the year. So 92% stop somewhere during the year. Uh, and so I'm just wondering, 27 days in, you know, where you are with this. I just am curious. <laughs> uh, uh, and I share that because it's difficult to do. But what if? What if we didn't? What if we kept ours? What if ours as the church, actually those are good, but what if ours as the church looked more like this? What if each day I become more like Jesus? What if, listen, what, what would happen, uh, if, and keeping in mind that we make this independently, we make these for ourselves, but what if there was a whole church of individuals who made this decision that every day they want to become more like Jesus, how would that impact our family? How would that impact our friends? How would that impact our city if all of us, if as a whole church, we decided that's what we're going, that's what we're going to do. We're going to become more like Jesus. Or, or what if I got involved in what God is doing um, with my abilities? And many of us already are. And some of you know there's this rule, this principle that says 20% of the people do 80% of the work, 20% of the people give 80% or give 80 of the money, 20% of the people eat 80% of the potato salad. I mean, we, there's that number that's out there. We know it's out there. But what if? What if we were all working together? What if all of us worked together? What difference would that make? in the lives of people around us. Or this one, what if, what, if, uh, what if I were out of debt? And I don't know where you are in that. I know where I've been in my life, 
And, uh, and I mentioned Financial Peace University a moment ago. That's the first, I t- was telling someone this week, that's the first time anyone ever asked me, how much of your income do you want to live on? Because I always assumed the answer was all of it. And it's, that's not the right answer, by the way. But I've always thought that until I was asked that question. What would happen if I made some difficult decisions in my life to get out of the financial situation that I find myself in And when I did that, I began to point the resources that God has entrusted uh, to me to change someone else's life because God has drastically changed mine. What if I used my resources, pointed my resources at helping to drastically change someone? And what if a church full of people made that decision? We said we're going to make the hard decisions in our individual lives and our families, and we're going to do this together. And what if that church, what if that church was us? What if... What if we asked God uh, to use us, not, not just one or two of us, but all of us together to make a real difference in someone else's life this year? I mean, what if the trajectory of their life relationally, spiritually, uh, physically, financially, emotionally, what if by the end of this year they are in a totally different, someplace they can't even imagine where they, right now where they sit, January 27th, 2019, they can't even imagine being where God could take them by the end of this year? And what if, what if we helped them get there? What if, what if because of what we asked God to do through us, our city was a place of hope, a place that others looked at and they wondered, how did they go from where they were to where they, where they are? And how can we get what they've got. And then they ask us and they find out that what we've got and our city has, our city's had this difference made because of Jesus. And not only uh, that other cities are encouraged, but other Jesus followers are inspired to ask the Holy Spirit to lead them in their lives like we're asking the Holy Spirit to lead us in ours. And what if at the end of this year we were able to take our next steps as individuals, as the church, and with with our community. So we've been asking ourselves, what would this look like for us each individually? We asked that the first week, January 6th, then we took two weeks vacation. And, uh, and so today, <laughs> I got to tell you, I pulled in, saw the ice on the lot this morning. I was like, seriously, come on. <laughs> but what, if, what would that mean? What would that mean for all of us together? And next week, we're going to look at what it means because of us. But today, it's about all of us. And so you know, we've anchored in one passage. We're looking at all of this from Matthew chapter 4. So if you have your Bibles, open to Matthew 4. If you have your phone, go to the U version, Matthew chapter 4. Our notes are there as well. But we want to see what did this look like in Jesus's ministry. We're also going to get a peek at what it looked like in the early church. How did this play out? Because it did play out in the early church. And what could it look like for us today? So on the U version app or in your Bible, Notes uh, on your handout, Matthew chapter 4, let's take a look at this together. While walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who's called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea because they're fishermen. And he said to them, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets and they followed him. And then going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and his, John, his brother, in the boat with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets. And he called to them too. And immediately they left the boat and they left their father and they followed him. So listen, if you missed, uh, if you weren't here uh, three weeks ago, if you haven't seen that online, we looked at verses 19 and 20. And so I just want to catch everybody up uh, for just a moment, uh, get everyone on the same page. In Jesus's day, The Sea of Galilee 
had 30 fishing towns that surrounded it. So if you made your living as a fisherman, this was the place to be. So I, I point that out because it's not unusual that Jesus would run into these four guys in this place. Of course this is where they're going to be. They're professional fishermen. And I shared two insights from this encounter with Jesus and these four guys that I want to just make sure we're, we're all catching up today. So here's the first one. Peter and Andrew already know who Jesus is when this takes place. Because I grew up thinking, wow, this is really odd. Jesus runs into them for the first time, says, follow me, and they just drop everything and leave. That is just so weird. I can't imagine it happening, which is okay because that's not what happened. All right? So we, we know from John chapter 1 that Jesus had already talked to Peter and Andrew previously so they know who he is and they know what kind of man that he is. Here's the second insight. Jesus never called Peter and Andrew to be Christians. And if you weren't here a few weeks ago, you may wonder why we would say that. It's because Jesus called Peter and Andrew to be followers. He called them to be Christians. He called them to be followers. And that's, what we, that's where we started three weeks ago. We talked about how do you begin to follow Jesus? If you've never made that decision, how do you begin to do that? And I want to say this. We talked about it that week. Please do not confuse following Jesus with going to church. Because while followers go to church, those who go to church are not always following Jesus. Now, if you caught the Facebook message last week, when I finally got on the right page uh, with that, uh, but I recognized, I said this last week, I know that's a harsh statement. And I know it can sound judgmental. But this is why people who don't go to church have a problem with us. It's not that they have a problem with Jesus, right? They get Jesus. It's his followers that they have a problem with because like the religious leaders in Jesus' day, we teach the right stuff. We say the right things. It's when we don't practice what we preach. And I just want to say, please hear this. No one expects you to be sinless. No one expects you to be perfect. At least people who are really trying to figure this thing out, they're trying to understand Jesus and what it means to follow him, None of them expect perfection or sinlessness. So uh, we began with these questions. And, and if you have never asked yourself these, I hope you will. Have I made that decision for myself to follow Jesus? Have I made that decision? And if I haven't, why haven't I? And if I did make that decision, and for some of us, it was a month ago, uh, uh, Paul, a friend of mine who was here for a service, it was, it's been three weeks ago, uh, for some of us, it's been months. Others of us, it's been decades. We've been following Jesus decades of our lives. If I made that decision to follow Jesus 40 years ago, the question today is, am I still following? Because it's easy. It's super easy to slip into being someone who just goes to church but doesn't follow Jesus. And so here's what we say at MCC. Just I want to make sure you have this. A disciple is someone who is following Jesus, being changed by Jesus, and is committed to the mission of Jesus. And if you're new to MCC, you may be wondering, what is with this word right here? Because that's not a common 21st century word, at least not in our country. Okay? So why is that word coming up? Jesus is talking to his followers. It's at the very end of Matthew. His earthly ministry is about to end. He has called his followers together uh, on top of a mountain, and he gives them this. These are kind of his marching orders for the church moving forward. Then Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make what? 
disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything that I've commanded you. And surely I'm with you always, even to the end of the earth. So his marching orders are for his followers that day and for his church today to become disciples ourselves and make disciples of everybody that we know who were willing to follow Jesus. And so since we're supposed to be one and we're supposed to be helping other people become one, our leaders wanted to make sure that we all understood what one is together. So the Bible calls, if you've never heard of this before, the Bible calls people who are following Jesus disciples. Literally, a disciple is a student who wants to be like his teacher. So with that understanding, hear this again. A disciple is someone who is following Jesus, being changed by Jesus, and is committed to the mission of Jesus. And so, again, we began to talk about what does it look like to make this decision to follow Jesus, and what does it mean to say that we're being changed by him? I just want you to take a moment and notice the verb tenses uh, in what we're saying because we're very intentional with those. Following and being changed by Jesus will continue the rest of our lives. We never, we never arrive there, this side of heaven. Okay, what we're always trying to follow. And sometimes we do better than others. Sometimes we're better at following Jesus than at other times. And we're always trying to be changed by Jesus, to become more like Jesus every day so that there's this family resemblance between us and him. And honestly, if we're going to be honest with ourselves and with each other, sometimes we do better at that, right, than others. Sometimes we do great, and other times we're not so great. But Paul uses this idea in Romans chapter 12, verse 2. He says, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. That's when you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect uh, will. And he uses this word, uh, transformed. That's our English word. comes from the Greek word, uh, metamorpho, which is where we get the English word. Look how smart Knowing you're Greek, that is incredible. Metamorphosis means to change into another form. The promise of God is that he wants to radically change what we are and who we are into something new and better. And we are not perfect at this. So, if you're looking, if you're just here for the first time or something, and you're looking for the perfect church, keep moving. This is not it. We are not the perfect church. Sometimes we blow it, but that's why everyone is welcome here. Listen, listen, if you don't have to be perfect. I don't have to be perfect, but what we have to do is we have to allow God to work inside of us to help us continue to become like him. And if you weren't here a couple weeks ago, I encourage you to check that out uh, at our, our website. Uh, so a little bit ago, I'm going to show you this one more time, and then I have you read the last part. We said a disciple here at MCC, this is how we define what a disciple is. A disciple, a student who wants to be like his teacher, is someone who's following Jesus, being changed by Jesus, and is what? Committed to the mission uh, of Jesus. So today, what if together, what if together all of us, we were all committed to the mission of Jesus? And so we focused on Peter and Andrew saying yes to Jesus about following him and then being changed by him. This week, our next steps in our faith are about what happens next in these verses. So look again at verse 21. Going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James the son of Zebedee and John his brother, in the boat with their dad, mending nets, and he called them, and immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. So on your notes, I want to make sure you got this. What if we determined to invite others to follow Jesus 
with us? What if we determined that we're going to invite us? What if we, all of us, determined that we are going to do that? So I'm going to ask you this question. Why did, why did James and John follow Jesus? Not a trick question. Why did they follow him? They were invited. That's the answer to that question. So here's my next question. Have you done that? Have you invited someone to follow Jesus with you? And here, one of the things that we say at MCC, and I hope you're familiar with this, but what we say is we're going to invite people to come as they are. So I just need to think about that, too. To come as they are. I want to make sure you know that we don't expect anyone to clean up their act before they start. And to be clear, we are inviting you and your family and your friends who are all as messed up as some of us still are and as messed up as some of us have been, we're inviting you uh, to be with us. We're inviting you to come as you are. And by inviting you to come as you are, I just want to make sure you know this, certainly that means that you're welcome here at MCC to begin your faith journey just like you are. But that's not what we're inviting you to. We are not inviting you to attend church. Our mission from Jesus isn't to invite people to come to church. That's not what this says. Our task is to invite people to come follow Jesus with us, right? It's not just about coming to church. And I realize I'm saying that a lot this morning. I get it. It just seems like a really confusing idea to people in our culture today. That being a Christian is really just about going to church for an hour on Sunday, and really that's about it. I mean, maybe you slap a fish bumper sticker on your car, and hopefully you drive the speed limit when you do that. But, but that's really about all it is. And if you're new to MCC and want to know more about your, this uh, next Sunday, we've got a class called First Step. Adam Leppard, our discipleship pastor, will be teaching it. And if you're wondering, what kind of church is this? Please. We'd love to have you be part of that class. Please come to that class. Just You can register uh, online at our website, or you can go to the Bible app and register there. But we really want you to be there. But here's the question that we're asking. What if, what if we determined that we're going to be the place where imperfect people are, are welcomed, right? So uh, uh, what if we're going to be uh, the place where imperfect people are welcomed and invited and encouraged and challenged and shown, not just told, we're not just telling people, but we're going to show them through our lives how to change. And what if we determined to be the place, what if we determined to be the place uh, uh, where uh, people, where we, expect, where we expect imperfect people to not be perfect, right? Just like us, imperfect people, we don't expect it to be perfect. And when they sin, blow it, make bad decisions, fail, fall down, that we will help them receive forgiveness from God, just like we have received forgiveness from God and continue to receive forgiveness from God and receive forgiveness from us when it applies just like we hope when we do something that offends you or makes you angry or we wrong you in some way that you forgive us and we help them back up just like we need someone to help us back up when we fall down. What if we were that place? I mean, I love that how we approach this. We say that faith is a journey, not a destination. And we'll meet people where they are and not where we wish they were. And we'll risk getting our hands messy to help people begin and build a relationship with Jesus. And that's huge. Because someone did that with you. And someone did that with me. What if we became the church that when your family or friends are with us, it makes it easier to believe that Jesus loves them just the way they are? What if we were that kind of place? where We, may, we make it easier for people to believe that. And we make it easier for them to believe that he's not mad at them because they've been told that. 
that he doesn't hate them because they've been told that, that he's, he doesn't get some thrill out of throwing them in hell. They've been told that. What if we make it easier to believe that Jesus loves them just the way they are? What if we were those folks? And what if, what if we invested uh, our resources together? What if I invest my resources with yours? This thing, this movement, the church that Jesus is beginning to pull together. So in Matthew 4, we're kind of getting the very beginning of it, but it doesn't exist yet. <laughs> so when Jesus is taught, our verses are happening the church does not exist yet. As a matter of fact, uh, Jesus is pulling it together, and by the time we get to the book of Acts, uh, the church has its birth. And by Acts uh, chapter 4, we're a year into it. The church isn't even a year old yet. But in Acts chapter 4, here's what they did. So Jesus plants the seed of an idea, and when the church begins, here's what it looks like in real life. All the believers were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of their possessions was their own, but they shared everything that they had. And with great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and God's grace was so powerfully at work in all that there were no needy persons among them because from time to time, those who owned land or houses sold them, brought the money from the sales, and put it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to anyone who had need. That's what it looked like in the first century. Here's what it looked like in the 21st century. It was our Christmas offering because we said we were going to take all of our resources and we were going to help His Hope Teen Challenge begin to remodel this duplex that will help people who have been addicted to drugs. They had either been on the road to or they knew exactly what it means to lose everything. Marriages, family, jobs, houses, friends. They know what it means to lose all of those things. And because of what we did at Christmas time, we pulled our resources. They knew what it's like to know Jesus and the power of his kingdom and the, the power it has over the chains of addiction. And I just want to make sure you hear this. We didn't do that alone. God used all of us together to do that because we decided to follow him. And we decided to allow him to keep changing us. And we invited other people to follow us or follow him with us. And we invested our resources together. And I just want to say it's happening right now. We are investing our resources to provide food. That's why this is up here. Rich has already mentioned it. When you go out in the lobby, you'll see it all over the place. It's back in the trough now at the back of the room. We brought that in and started to fill that up as well. Our plan, if you don't know what the big plan is, our hope is to help at least one family. More if we can. But we want to help at least one family have all of their food for one month so that they can take the resources they would point at food and point that at something else that would help them step up and out of, or at least take the next step up out of the situation that they have found themselves in. And when I pitch, listen, when the, the elders and the deacons and the staff and the ministry leaders here said, this is what we want to go after in 2019, I got to go talk to some folks in the city who work with families and pitch this idea. And when I did that, man, they were so excited that, that this was going to give, listen, I've had groups in the city ask me to come, can you tell everybody what your church is doing because it's so cool and they need to know about it. I've had people ask me to do this, and I want to just make sure that you hear this. We're not doing this alone. We 
are doing, God is using all of us. We can't possibly do this on our own, but God can use all of us to do that because we've decided to follow him and we've decided to let him change our lives continually and to invite others to join us in following him. And we're investing our resources together. What if all of us invested our time, our talents, and our finances, not just some of us carrying the load, not just 20% doing 80% of the work, what if 100% of us were all involved? So I just want to say this. Listen, this morning, if you're not involved in serving, if you're not involved in giving financially, your next step is to get in the game. And I'm just going to hit pause for a moment. I've said this a couple times. My email that went out to those of you who have shared your email address with us uh, and on Facebook this past week, but I want to say again this morning because this is the first time in three weeks that we've been able to be together like this. But because of your giving, you need to understand, because of your giving, ministry happened even though we couldn't get together like this. And I don't know all of the stories from the last couple of weeks, but I do know these. Four of our folks got together and removed snow on their street. Every driveway, every sidewalk was cleaned both Sundays because of folks uh, from MCC. Uh, someone's son, someone here, their son's sons and grandson cleared the driveway. Their, her elderly neighbor was coming home from the hospital. He'd been in the hospital, and then the snowstorm hit. And they found out he was coming home, and so they went. They didn't live there. They went to their mom's and grandma's house, and they cleaned her neighbor's driveway. So when he got back from the hospital, he didn't have to worry about how that was going to happen. And then they cleaned hers, and then they cleaned her mom's. Uh, one of our folks removed snow at a bus stop near their house. They don't have, that's not their responsibility. It's not their bus stop but it was close to their house, and the idea of people having to stand in the snow while they waited for the bus was too much for this Jesus follower, and so they went and did it. One of our folks was on their way home last Sunday, and they saw this old man shoveling his driveway, and this guy told me, he said, you know, what, what you said last Sunday was kind of rattling around in my head. What I said on Facebook was rattling around in my head when I saw him, <laughs> and I stopped, and I said, total strangers. I mean, they didn't know each other. <laughs> Do you mind if I help you shovel your driveway? And this old man said, yeah. And he said, I did. Ten minutes later, I left for home. Ten minutes is all it cost me to help this old guy shovel his driveway. Listen, it's because you made a decision. Somebody made a decision to financially support the work of the church. So thank you for those of you who give electronically at mccgives.com. That's what Sandy and I do. We set up a recurring ACH because it helps us be way more consistent in our giving so that we don't ever forget or think that we did something that we didn't do. Our ministry plan, so you know, our ministry plan here at MCC is based on what we anticipate receiving each week. Your gift being given, even though we were unable to meet helps keep what God is doing through MCC, just helps keep it strong, helps keep it healthy, helps keep it in good shape. Listen, so if you would like to set up a one-time donation or a recurring donation, all you have to do is go there and just follow the steps. It's, it's super helpful. And for those of you who have come this morning, because I know there were some people who came this morning who weren't able to be here the last couple of weeks because we weren't here, and they weren't able to give the last couple of weeks because we weren't here, and so they brought it today. 
with them, what they were going to give the last couple of weeks. They brought that with them today. And I just want to say thank you for doing that because when you make that decision, when we bring our resources together, time, talents, finances, God uses that in a huge way. Here's the last one. What if we care for each other? What if we as a church decide we're going to care for each other? That's what was happening in the book of Acts. Chapter 4, again, these verses, verse 33, with great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and God's grace was so powerfully at work in them all that there were no needy persons among them. For from time to time, those who owned land or houses sold them, brought the money from the sales, and put it at the apostles' feet, and that was distributed to anyone who had need. They cared for each other first. To be clear, there were difficult conversations because people tried to take advantage of others' generosity. Even in the church, that happens. And so there were difficult conversations that they were willing to have because they wanted to help each other, just like we will today. But what, would, what if at the end of the year someone's life was changed because we decided to follow Jesus and we decided to ask God to change us and then we asked him to use us together to help change their life? God wants us to be part of his kingdom's plan. Just imagine. It's not just about the decision you make as an individual, although that's huge. It's about the decision that we make as individuals together. What if we together said yes? Which, by the way, we're about to take communion. It's one of the reasons why communion is so important. And I don't know if you've ever recognized this or not. That is the thing we do individually. We each individually, sometimes we close our eyes. We don't even know anyone else is around us because it's kind of quiet. We each individually, we go back to God and we thank him for what he did on the cross for us through his son, Jesus. And, and I thank him for the, for the forgiveness of my sins. And I thank him for his kingdom. And you do the same thing. But we do it individually together. Have you ever thought about that? You do it individually in a room full of people. And it's through this act that we not only say, God, thank you for doing what you have done in our life, in my life. What we're saying to God at that moment as well is, and use me to do the same in someone else's life. I am recommitting myself to you, and I do that every Sunday when I take communion. I do that as an individual with you and you and you and you because we do this together. Let's go to him in prayer. God, thank you for this time. We get to remember what Jesus did for us on the cross and how lost we were until he did. And this debt that we, this sin debt that we had, where we had just failed so many times, we couldn't do anything about it. We, we can't do enough good things to get past that. We can't even the scales. But you can, and you sent Jesus. And so, Jesus, thank you for dying for us on a cross. Thank you for allowing us to be part of your kingdom. We sang just a little bit ago, I'm a child of God. Not possible without your blood being shed on the cross. Not possible. And so, God, as individuals, we come to you and say thank you. Thank you for what you did in our lives that allow us to follow your son and to be changed by your Holy Spirit and then to invite other people into this adventure, this journey of faith 
that we're on that is way more than just about sitting in this room once a week for an hour. It's about what you do through us, in us, as we move throughout the week. And God, when we do that as individuals today, during our communion time, we do it as individuals together as the church. Because the church is not a building. (laughs) The church is your people. And so as your church today, Father, we not only say thank you, but we give ourselves back to you and the cause of your kingdom. And we do this because of your son and through your Holy Spirit. So it's in your son's name, his powerful, sin-forgiving name. We pray all of this. Amen.